Hello everyone and welcome to Chapter Tactics. This is your 40k podcast that focuses on playing warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I am your host, Mr. Pablo, and with me I have three guests who are absolutely excited and ecstatic about those Space Marine nerfs. Let me hear you guys scream. Uh, Woo! Space Marine nerfs. Hooray. Uh, Long to... live the death of the Space Marine. Brandon, I thought you were going to do like a beat boop or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Who says that wasn't? <laughs> I heard a beat boop. That's that's all I heard. Anyways, of course I have Mr. Nick Nanavati from the Art of War podcast and artofwar.com. And Scary from Scardcast, Mr. Regular co-host, the gentleman himself. And then well, finally, you know, I try. And then finally, Brandon Grant, who needs no other introduction. All my noises are robot noises, unless otherwise specified. <laughs> and of course, if you read the title of this episode, you know what the topic is. We are going to be talking about those Space Marine nerfs over the weekend, or was it Friday? Uh, Friday counts as the weekend. Uh, recently, as of the recording of this episode, about three days ago, GW dropped a bomb on the community in an unprecedented, kind of unique thing. Something they haven't done, I think, to my knowledge. The closest might be the Custodes uh, gunship nerf. The Forge World points increases that kind of came out in the middle of nowhere last summer. However, they nerfed Space Marines. And they did it in a very decisive faction, fashion. They just said, we are going to nerf them. This is going to be separate from the Spring FAQ. We are just going to nerf these things. We're sorry. Hopefully this fixes things. And we actually have a little bit of tournament results too uh, via Best in Faction and their Tony's Top 4 take on uh, Competitive 40K on Facebook. So we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, that's going to be the main topic. Before we jump to that, of course, if you're interested in supporting the podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash chapter tactics where you can support the podcast. Patrons get access to co-hosts, list advice on the Facebook group and Discord, and also uh, get to win cool stuff via raffle prizes. And this week, actually, Mr. Anton won this month's prize support, which unfortunately I didn't mention over February. I did a very bad job of advertising it. Uh, so Anton, you actually win one thing. I'm just going to message you. Congratulations. We'll work it out. But it's going to be one thing, probably something cool, uh, maybe a codex, Maybe a unit towards an army you're working on. Maybe some Grey Knight Terminators. I heard those are very hard to find right now. Whatever. I'll message you, Anton. Congratulations for winning this month. And next month, I promise I'll do a better job of hyping up what we're going to be giving away. So. Woohoo! Go, Anton! Good job! Yay! You can be like him! Yeah. Also. I love your enthusiasm, Scar. Well, you know. <laughs> it's, it's, he's hyped up right now. I'm uh, sitting atop my spire in the Dark City. And I've been playing lots of Drukari stuff. So once, you know, every once in a while, you know, not getting beat down by Marines, you gotta celebrate the guys that win stuff. Yeah. Also, yeah. his Black Templars didn't get nerfed at all. That's true. <laughs> well, they did. What if they wanted to sit in Dead Doctrine? Ooh, ooh, you're right. Too bad. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, and then, of course, finally, you can catch the podcast on the Frontline Game Network, along with all the other podcasts on the network, like The Art of War, 40K Stat Center, and Signals from the Frontline. Consider heading on over and subscribing to The Art of War Network. Also, as I announced last week, this week we moved services, podcast service, uh, streaming services, whatever it's called, uh, which basically means there's going to be advertisements. We're going to use 
those advertisements to expand the network. It's going to be so cool. Um, so if you start noticing, noticing ads on the Frontline Gaming Network podcast, that's why uh, it's very, very exciting. And um, we're looking forward to moving the network to a larger and positive direction. All right. Also, go to FrontlineGaming.org and buy stuff because Reese told me to tell you. Okay. So let's talk about these 40K tournament results, something we haven't done on this podcast in a while. But 40K Stat Center missed last week, so someone has to do some tournament coverage on the network, and that is going to be us. So this is coming to you via Tony from the Best in Faction podcast Facebook group page, and uh, it, it's, it looks very promising. Uh, I don't know if you guys have that pulled up. I'll give you guys a couple seconds to pull that up while I talk about it. Essentially, there were four tournaments that happened this past weekend. Three of them adopted the new Space Marine changes. One didn't, and I'll let you guess which one didn't adopt the Space Marine changes by, just by looking at the top four factions. Mm. So first, we had the Northeast Open uh, with uh, first place Conrad Barkowitz, uh, the Canadian, Val's Canadian um, lover from another person. Actually, I completely biffed that. Anyways, Conrad, you're a great guy. You're Val's best friend. Uh, running with Craftworld Eldar and Dark Eldar. We had Mike Porter coming in second place with Iron Hands. Bernard Lee coming in third place with Raven Guard. And then Matt Robertson coming in place with Sisters of Battle. Brandon, are you, surpri- are you surprised to see Sisters in the top four? Not at all. I think they're a faction that can easily go five and one at a big event. Nice. Yep, agreed. And the list is pretty good. It's got the 30 Seraphim and like, well, almost 30 Seraphim and the 30 Zephyrim as well. So it's got some killy power there. Next up, we have the Gigabytes Alpha Strike GT. The first place, um, very simple man, JJ. That is it. No first name, no last name. Could be anything. Any two combinations of words that both start with the letter J. JJ winning with Dark Eldar. We had second <gasps> place, Stefan Mitchell with Chaos Space Marines and Thousand Suns. Third place, Chris Chance with Blood Angels. And then finally, Kelly Wallace bringing up the rear with Iron Hands. And that makes up the top four for the Gigabytes Alpha Strike GT. Next up, we have the Alliance Open. In first place, we had Rude Steenbockers with Imperial Fists. Second place, the one, the only, Manny Chima with Grey Knights. And then rounding out third and fourth place, Justin Jansen with Iron Hands and Danny Evison with Iron Hands. And then finally, we have the GH500 with George Bobkov running Chaos Space Marines and Demons taking first place. Tyler Parker coming in second with Craftworld Eldar. Marcus Glau... Glau- I'm not going to pronounce that last name. Marcus G with Chaos Knights and Chaos Space Marines coming in third. And then Keith Romero bringing up the rear with CSM in fourth place. All right. So right out of the gate, uh, I noticed uh, Chaos coming in a little bit more. Um, do you think? Do you guys think that is kind of the fall of the Space Marines? Or have Chaos always been on the cusp? Or is there some new tech that maybe we haven't seen yet that we should be worried about? I think wait, the wait. new Thousand Sun stuff, the... Cult of Magic or Cult of Duplicity, Cult of Time, all those with rubrics and scarabs, scarab termies. There's a lot of new cool stuff that Chaos can actually do. Uh, and the Grey Knights might keep that in check, but in general, Chaos is coming back strong right now. I would agree, especially if you mix in things like Alpha Legion. And there was a couple of uh, Slanesh and like uh, Noise Marine style lists that came out of this weekend as well. Yeah, the other thing I'm noticing is there's a lot of Eldar in the top four at these tournaments. And it's not just 
any one Eldar. It's Craftworld and Dark Eldar mixed together. And heck, one of the first place at uh, the Alpha Strike event was Dark Eldar by themselves. So I don't think that either of those two super factions, the Chaos or Eldari factions, are in a bad place right now. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. I, also, compared comparing this to other strings of GTs and majors before uh, LVO and earlier on in the winter, um, it definitely shows a little bit more variety. Um, there are still, you know, a lot of Space Marines in there mixed in with the usual suspects. Uh, I do like seeing a Grey Knight player making the top four, a uh, Blood Angels and Sisters player also making the top four. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see what people do with the Adepticon missions and in the Adepticon, uh, the, with the Adepticon tournament, because the Adepticon missions are different. They, I, I wouldn't call those missions trendsetters for the overall ITC season or everyone using the new ITC missions. However, they definitely do skew and influence people's decisions with making lists and making picking factions. So it'll be very interesting to see how the Adepticon tournament plays affects the rest of the season. And of course, it is the first super major of the year, so we have that to look forward to as well. Before we move on to kind of our general thoughts, uh, Nick, Brandon, and Skari, what are your predictions for Adepticon? Just super early Adepticon predictions. Who do you think, what factions do you think you'll see often? Um, just kind of like, how are you preparing for it if you're going for it in general? Adepticon, I'm actually going, and they have a very unique mission set like he's in Pablo. Uh, it's almost entirely based around board control. Killing almost doesn't matter. I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but it's negligible as far as points are concerned. Um, also, all there's no hammer and anvil or lengthier deployments. Every deployment is either it's all modified, so it's either modified spearhead, modified I think it's regular vanguard or modified dawn of war. So the game is naturally going to be very compact, like you're playing very close to each other to start, and and finally it's only five turns. So five turn games with an emphasis on board control means and, and short deployments. You're you're getting in the grind of it from the get go, and you're you're playing those armies uh, that sit in the back and just try to play all six turns of 40k and ITC, winning on turns four, five, and six. This is something very common to Tau players, or at least Richard Siegler style Tau players. Um, Iron Hands can sometimes play like this. Those armies won't do nearly as well. Um, I think the Space Marine FAQ probably did a number on fist artillery gun lines, but artillery castles. They don't have the board control to, like, play this type of mission. Their their strategy is kill them in the first two, three turns, worry about the missions on turns four, five, and six. If they try that, they're already in a points deficit going into turns four, five, and six, and the game's about to be over. So I think you'll see a lot of faster-paced armies, a lot of board control armies, a lot of aggressive armies. Um, I think that's going to be key to Adepticon. If I would, uh, if I would have just echo what Nick said, yes, it's the board control is super big. I won't be there. However, I, I have a feeling we're gonna see like armies are gonna just sit in the middle and take a pounding, do well, like a bunch of Iron Hand intercessors that just will oh, yeah. never die. I, I expect Iron Hand infantry horde to be a very powerful set of depth account. It's mostly obsec. It's so hard to kill once you get on the objectives. You can't really get shifted off. Uh, Raven Guard. I expect to do very well. They're another just, you know, I'm here in the middle of the table with 18 centurions. What are you going to do about it kind of army? Um, and then, of course, I think hordes will do really well. I know Steve Pamprine in particular is, is considering running 400 Grats, that menace that shouldn't exist. 
because <laughs> what are you going to do? Do you have 400 bolts to kill 400 models in five turns? And even if you do, like, you have to kill it in, like, two or three turns, otherwise it scored so many points on progressive scoring already. Well, he has to redeem himself after Jeff Poole making the top eight with orcs and him bringing space marines. Although he did least. make top eight himself, so it's not like he did, uh... It's, it's not the whole double whammy there. That's true. You're right. You're you're right. Steve did pretty well himself. <laughs> um, so, in regards to moving on to the designer's commentary, uh, I want to focus on the beginning bit of the PDF, which is basically Adepticon, the Adepticon TO saying, hey, we're adopting these new Space Marine missions. Um, it, it, it's, it's very interesting, because GW normally, with, with the exception of the occasional article written by a playtester or a, a one of the TOs from the Super Majors doesn't really give TOs a voice on their platforms, and let alone on their PDFs, right? This is something that you can download, and it's on the, the GW FAQ. So what do you what did you think about um, GW kind of letting the Adepticon TO make the announcement via the, the commentary? Um, I, I personally felt like it was really cool, uh, though I know some people thought that it was still too early and that maybe GW forced the Adepticon TOs to do that, which, which I disagree with a lot. However, of course people find a, a reason to gripe and argue about anything. Uh, what, what did you guys kind of think about that? Mm, I was kind of ambivalent about it. It felt like, sure, this is additional commentary from a tournament perspective. So from the perspective of, oh, whether or not Adepticon should have commented, that's t entirely up to them. The only message that I'd really add is that Games Workshop seems to be attempting to give the impression to the community that they care about tournament play. So by having Adepticon comment openly like that, they're saying, look, we listened to the tournament scene, and that's part of why we're making these changes. Yeah, I would agree with Brandon. Yeah. I'm overall ambivalent towards it. I don't, I don't really... It's cool that it's there, I guess, but it doesn't change my day-to-day -day at all. Um, <laughs> I know from speaking with Jason and personally... He was definitely not forced by Games Workshop, as much as I can say, to adopt any changes prematurely. If anything, he was pushing Games Workshop. Not that they would listen, I don't know. But he's definitely an advocate for Space Marine nerfs. Yeah, I th I, yeah. Good, Scary. Yeah, so I think, I honestly, it's it's okay. Like, you know, Adepticon says, hey, you know, we're adopting it. That's fantastic. It just shows it there at the forefront and sort of encourages other events to sort of follow suit, even if the the changes were done recently. Uh, however, at the end of the day, you know, if GW says it's canon, then, you know, it's like, okay, well, it's, it's what it's happening, right? We kind mm -hmm. of, you know, accept it regardless of which TOs back it or not, right? And what did you guys think about the designer's commentary FAQ coming out before the spring April, or before the April FAQ? Kind of, um, I don't want to call it like an emergency stopgap, um, but it did, certainly did feel like that. Uh, what did you guys think about that? Do you want to see more from GW, or do you think that uh, they shouldn't let the game get to this point um, of imbalance to happen again? And would you want to see them keep to regularly scheduled FAQs like what they were doing before? What were your kind of thoughts on this? Well, I feel that it, you know I think it's good if there's an issue, they should be able to fix it right away. You know, they they shouldn't have to be like blindly following a schedule just because they said there was a schedule. Like if there's an issue, like I, I personally would prefer them to just stand up and say, Hey, there's an issue. We're fixing it. Uh, you know, so that we can get a, get on with 
enjoying a game of little toy soldiers that we like so much hmm. instead yeah, of I'm, instead I'm, of uh you know waiting and agonizing while you know tournament at um tournament uh numbers go down and people get frustrated with the game for six months yeah i agree i'm glad that they have the I don't want to say the balls, but the, <laughs> the balls, to, the big the, cojones, the, balls, the big cojones to to break their their self imposed schedule when you know you have to. Like their tournament numbers are going down, They're, the community was losing faith to a degree. Like I'm glad that they were they saw that, recognized it, acted upon it. That's great. Now to your other question, should they have let it get to this place in the first place? No, absolutely not. But mistakes happen. Um, you know, all you can do is fix them. Um, could they do more preemptively to try to not let this happen in the first place? Possibly. Maybe more on the playtesting front. I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm not a playtester. I don't have the inside info on how that works. But ideally, uh, yeah, you can do stuff about this prematurely, preemptively rather. It's just, uh, you know, hopefully they start doing that. That's how I feel. Mm. Yeah, it, it's very interesting. Um, the only thing I kind of want to add to that is uh, I, I like it. Um, it took them long enough. I think they prob- there's probably a couple times when they we needed maybe something like this real quick um, that we probably could have they probably couldn't have shouldn't have waited for the entire you know the FAQ for whatever their schedule was. Um, and also in regards to this specific one, um, I kind of wish they'd done it before the LVO. Uh, we kind of all saw the writing on the wall, you know, in January. Um, I know a lot of people. Uh, myself included, Reese, uh, playtesters, people on this network who all knew that Space Rangers were that powerful and um, did advocate for changes. And, um, you know, but better late than never, I guess. So, uh, you know, beginning of March and Space Marine, we, we didn't have to worry about this until the spring to see Space Marines get nerfed. And that's overall a positive success. So it'll be interesting to see what GW, how GW handles this kind of stuff moving forward. Uh, especially as more Psychic Awakening stuff comes out and we might see, you know, more broken stuff because GW is known to put some really silly stuff in some of their supplements, historically anyways. Uh, So, you know, we might see something like this come out. Uh, The FAQs have been coming later and later, uh, which I think is very interesting. uh, Before, FAQs would come out two weeks after a book. um, And I think there's still, like... There's still um, some early psychic awakening books that haven't had an FAQ yet. Uh, no. I will say though that if you've been playing the game long enough, sorry to interrupt that, Brendan. But if you're playing the the if you've been playing the game long enough, you will appreciate that even if it does take them a few months, that they that they are fixing problems. Yes. Especially us yeah. veteran gamers who've literally like lived through, you know, a Dark Eldar Codex that was 13 years old or whatever, and. And oh, yeah. didn't get any updates, you know. So you, you now you get multiple updates to your army per edition. You know, you might be waiting longer than you'd like to, but back in the day, if you had a bad nothing. army, you know, you had a bad army for who knows how, knows how long. We're talking four yep. or five years. That just sucks. Yep. Yeah. The thing I'll say is, um, I get the sense that Space Marines, without a doubt, are the flagship army for games workshop just based on the number of space marine chapters that you can run and how many people play them and i think that games workshop was very anxious to get their rules right and they knew that they had failed at the start of eighth edition to get space marines right and i feel like that was a a big deal for the bottom line for games workshop to have their most popular faction miss the mark um 
And we all know competitively that they definitely missed in the other direction, overcorrected with the um, new codex plus the psychic awakening and plus the uh, chapter supplements altogether. We had a faction that was too powerful. But I also get the sense that Games Workshop did not want to overcorrect again very quickly. So, for example, when the Castellan was stomping around in 2018 um, and dominating events like Nova, uh, the rules were updated very quickly after Nova to try and address the issue. But instead of getting it right the first time, they they erred on the side of undernerfing uh, the Castellan, which is why the Castellan still won Las Vegas Open later and was one of the most common models at the event. And it took until after Las Vegas for them to finally get it correctly adjusted. So in control signals or uh, control systems, there's this concept called uh, overdamped system. So if you're trying to get a voltage to a specific level um, and you're trying to get there as quick as possible. You might have an underdamped system where the signal just fluctuates wildly until it finally stabilizes. That's what Games Workshop was trying to avoid. They didn't want to nerf Space Marines so hard that they overshot the other way and made them irrelevant again, especially how bad that would feel for all the Space Marine players to buy these shiny new toys and then not be able to bring them to competitive events. So instead, Games Workshop has erred on the side of overdamped, which is to say it's taking them longer than perhaps the competitive scene would have liked, but they're trying to stay with Space Marines on the competitive side the whole way with adjustments. And I don't know. That That's my best assessment is Games Workshop is super concerned about keeping Space Marines competitive and fun without overshooting and making them, let's say, a less than 50% win rate again. So not do the triple nerf that they're known for sometimes. <laughs> Where they like nerf one thing and another thing and another thing to make <laughs> because something irrelevant. I don't I don't know about cultists. you guys, but yeah, maybe that's not the flagship faction, but maybe something else. But in this case, with a flagship faction, yes, they're under damping this this competitiveness, in my opinion. So I'm just putting that out there that Space Marines are probably gonna continue to be adjusted for a while. Um it's just going to take time because I do feel that they're still easily tier one. Mm. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and to be fair to GW, uh, I agree with you, Brandon, uh, though. I think, I think that they're doing a better job now of directing that kind of thought and that kind of balance to their non-space brain factions as well. I thought the psychic awakening books for the most part did a really good job in bringing armies that were doing poorly and, and competing poorly and kind of giving them more tools to compete. Uh, and you will just have to wait and see, but it does feel just through the psychic awakening books and just through kind of what I've seen in chapter approved, it does feel like GW is listening to people and listening to results and helping out worse armies as well, as well as balancing some of the more egregious errors like the space Marine codex and stuff. So, um, they're doing a good job and, uh, We'll see how they overcorrected, and I think that's a great segue going into the uh, the uh, commentary. So the first thing we'll talk about is the combat doctrines nerf. So those of you who don't know, Space Marines had doctrines uh, where there was uh, three doctrines. There's the Devastator doctrine, the Tactical doctrine, and the Assault doctrine. 
I won't go into too much detail if you need read the Space Marine Codex if you want to know more about them. But essentially, these doctrines were very powerful, in particular the Devastator Doctrine. Devastator Doctrine led to two armies in particular, Imperial Fists and Iron Hands, dominating the everywhere. Uh, Manny Chima it, with Imperial Fists at the LVO was tabling people on turn two and just absolutely wrecking them just by staying in the Devastator Doctrine. And so GW did, I think, a really sensible thing in uh, nerfing the Doctrines, not by removing them, not by um, changing the way their rules worked, but by forcing you to go into the next Doctrine after the after turn one. So you can't stay in the Devastator Doctrine, which actually stays true to how GW did Doctrines before with the Ultramarines in the last edition, or in the last Space Marine Codex in 7th. Um, and I, I feel like that, that does go more with the lore and the fluff Space Marines are meant to be these, you know, tactical uh, beings, super powerhouse military, you know, strategists. So being flexible and going to different doctrines makes a lot of sense as you're progressing through an art of war um, or battlefield. Uh, however, that is my opinion. Um, either way, they did it. They nerfed them. And uh, now if you turn one, you have to move to the tactical doctrine. So if you're Iron Hands or Imperial Fists, uh, you do lose your buffs and the Devastator doctrine that you would normally get. Uh, and then you can stay in the Tactical Doctrine for two turns, which might be a buff to Ultramarines or Salamanders. Um, I don't think it is because it's still a nerf because they have to they have to go to the Assault Doctrine on turn four anyways. Uh, and then finally, turn four or turn three, you could be in the Assault Doctrine. And then I believe it recycles, so you go back to the Devastator Doctrine after the Assault Doctrine. Um, no, no, it's just active no, for the rest no. of the game. Yeah, Once you're in Assault Doctrine, you're wearing Assault Doctrine. That's, that's it, yes. And then uh, for you, they, took, they removed the stratagem that lets you go back a Doctrine. No, it was a go back to Devastator Doctrine and oh, then go start back to, all over again. Okay, they removed the stratagem that said that you go back to Devastator Doctrine. And then, uh, yes, that's the adaptive strategy stratagem. Correct. However, okay. Ultramarines still have two stratagems. I think a Warlord trait that helps them modify um, doctrines. Yeah, which, yeah, the, which is I, intended because they are Ultramarines after all. Uh, also, every supplement still has access to a stratagem that lets you put one unit in act as if it was in that doctrine. Um, I don't know if every supplement has it. it but I thought. Like, I know some of them do. Like Iron Hands, I know for a fact does. I know Ultramarines. Maybe that's not true. I, either way, there's stratagems in supplements, Space Marine supplements, uh, that do still help you get over the Doctrine limitation. Um, but this is still a nerf, to the specifically to Iron Hands and Imperial Fists. Um, so I'm going to open the floor to you guys. How, how do you think GW did with this? Uh, how do you think it'll affect... Imperial Fists and Iron Hands and the meta in general. Is it is it a good nerf? Will it not have a lot of change? Uh, what are your thoughts? I'll let someone I'll else start. start. Uh, okay, I'll go. So I think the the change is awesome. The overall doctrine change, moving from doctrine to doctrine is great. I also like how they kind of scaled it. You have a choice to stay in tactical because armies like Salamanders and Ultramarines, tactical is fundamentally a worse doctrine than Devastator doctrine. Um, Reason being is that heavy weapons are more powerful than uh, the their rapid-fire and assault counterparts. Not only that, is that the two factions that had feelings for Devastator Doctrine, Iron Hands and Purifus, had amazing super-doctrines, as we'll call them, a Calculated Fury and Legacy Adorn, which were 
For Iron Hands, if you were in Devastator Doctrine and you're mono Iron Hands, you can ignore the moving and shooting penalty. So for armies like Ultramarines, which are like, once we get to Tactical, we count it with Stationary, Iron Hands like, we'll just move and shoot anyway, and we'll start on turn one with our better weapons. And Imperial Fist, we'll just do additional damage versus vehicles, so that's obviously very powerful too. So I think it's an amazing nerf to those armies, and it's not a detrimental nerf to the point of no return for like Salamanders or uh, Ultramarines who want to be in Tactical for a while, especially for Ultramarines, since they can go back to Tactical for a long time. They'll probably stay the whole game in Tactical, to be honest, once they get there. And then armies like White Scars or Black Templars, they literally weren't affected, assuming they wanted to get to Assault Doctrine as quickly as possible. So overall, I'm very happy. I think it's got a lot of interesting ramifications because one, uh, a lot of the value to being a mono faction, like mono Iron Hands, mono Imperial Fist, came from that Super Doctrine, Calculated Fury, or Legacy of Dorne. So now that you only get use of that from one turn, on turn one, never again, um, it's not really worth building around entirely. So you might start to see ally options become a lot stronger. Like, uh, I've been recently toying with a list of like Samuel and three Talon ma- or two Talon Masters as a Supreme Command to put into an Iron Hands list because it's just a lot of quality firepower and they're really good units, and I don't care that I'm breaking my faction bonus because I barely got my faction bonus anyway. So you get to see a lot of room for design space. Things like Blood Angels, they used to be a very popular insert here kind of ally, like two Smash Captains, three Innocent Scouts, something like that. Cheap little battalion that does a lot. You don't really see that too much anymore because being a mono faction is so strong. So this at least, it, you know, encouraging allies is, is debatable if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But this definitely encourages allies, at least within the Space Marine factions. Well said. Uh, the yeah. only thing that I'll add is um, this design decision definitely made sense in addressing Iron uh, Iron Hands and Imperial Fists. But Manny Chima's list still bothers me when it can table 80% of your army turn one without needing line of sight. And uh, I do think that that will need to be adjusted down the road. But for now, it's definitely a step in the right direction back to it's an overdamped system. We're in the direction that we want to go, but we're just, we're not quite there yet. I, I agree with you. It, it just, it really just curbs a lot of the stupid is what I was telling Pablo. Like, um, you know, it doesn't overly nerf a lot of the, um, like, regular marine armies that you're going to see out there, but it stops some of those skewed, like, lists that just sat there in Devastator Doctrine the entire game. And, you know, even if you had had a good couple of turns and had mitigated some of their damage and were trying, it's just they they just never let up because it was the same efficiency the entire game. So it, it just, it'll help, like, you know, if you can still build those crazy lists, like uh, you know a bunch of Iron Hands flyers, and you can still build that Manny Chima list, however, you get one turn, right? Like of full effectiveness instead of six turns. And sorry, I use shorthand, but for those who aren't aware, the Manny Chima list is basically bring as much Imperial Fists artillery as you possibly can. Yeah, the reason it's, it's so really particularly powerful. useful in Imperial Fist, at least before, is because. Uh, there's plus one damage versus vehicles, that's what fists do, and fists ignore cover. So artillery almost always grants you a cover save. All you do is touch a piece of terrain and get a cover save no matter what you are, assuming they don't have line of sight to you. So ignoring that bonus to save is really important. Yeah, and a lot of the the weapons were AP2, were brought up to AP2, which is really, really powerful. Um, yeah, it was it was a very, I don't, I don't want to say cancerous list, because it wasn't seen a whole lot. Um, 
And I think that term is overused in gaming in general, but it, it was definitely not a fun list to play against in a lot of matchups. And um, it did have the added benefit of being so one-dimensional that if it ran into a hard counter, which luckily for Manny never happened, um, he would just absolutely lose the game. So, anyways, uh, adaptive strategy was the second change. We won't really we don't we already talked about it. We don't need to add on to that. Uh, they deleted the adaptive strategy stratagem in conjunction with uh, nerfing the ta the combat doctrines. The next thing they they changed was the duty eternal stratagem. So this is the iron hand stratagem that let you. That's the the dreadnought stratagem. I'm the sorry, yeah, the, the yeah. yeah, the half damage stratagem on uh, dreadnought. Um, they changed it to instead of half damage, it's just you reduce the damage suffered by one, and it doesn't stack with things like the iron stone. Um, this one, I, I think, I think. Uh, well, actually, I want to hear your thoughts on this one, guys. Before I, I kind of add my own thing, uh, Nick Scarry or Brandon. I think uh, overall it's healthy. The direction of the game wants to be is that nothing is unkillable we had a lot of unkillable all seventh and made everyone unhappy so i'm fine with things not being unkillable that's healthy um there was a uniqueness to the iron hands dreadnought being unkillable which you know might have been broken definitely led to some feel bads but there was a uniqueness to it which i didn't hate especially because it was only one um i think they could have they went maybe a little too far but maybe it's for the best you know, better go too far than not far enough i'd say um, where you could have let it stack with Ironstone at least, because so, yeah. um, it's still to a minimum of one, and like minus two is good, but like a six damage Lazkin shot will still do four. You know, it's not nothing, um, but it's it's no big deal as far as balance goes. You might just not see the dreadnoughts at all, uh, which is a shame because the one dreadnought I thought was cool. Like it was an interesting that you could just see a dreadnought on the field now. But like I said, I'd rather the game be toned down than toned up, so it's fine. Uh, I actually will disagree slightly in saying that I do think that this was the proper level of nerf, and I do like that it doesn't stack with Ironstone. Um, when you start stacking damage reduction abilities, you're back into unkillable again. And when you start doing the math for something like, I'll use the Castellan as an example, where you have a 3++ and vulnerable save on a 600-point model, um, and you also have the ability to re-roll one of those saves, and then you take Grand Strategist so you can re-roll another save. So in a turn, if you did eight wounds to the knight, it's going to save expected all of them but one. Um, that's starting to get gross in terms of the amount of firepower you can just ignore. Um, and in the knight's case, they tried to make it so you couldn't do that every turn and succeeded. You could do it for two turns, but that's all you needed because the knight would then remove all your models that could hurt it. Um, so that is definitely some field badsies. I get that what you're saying when it comes to the Leviathan being slower than a Castellan, shorter than a Castellan, and far shorter ranged than a Castellan, so it's not nearly as egregious if the model just lasts the entire game. Um, but good 40k gameplay should reward, did you put your model in the wrong place on the board? It's going to get removed. And the previous incarnation of the ability was definitely too strong and with the new version of the ability one cp to make a 300 plus point model damage reduction one is very fair uh, and, and it applies to everyone not just iron hands equally so i feel like that's also very fair so on that note i'll say i'm i'm sad that it doesn't work on normal dreadnoughts the way it did 
I 100% agree that it should work like that on like a Leviathan or like a Redemptor Dreadnought, stuff that's like super, super like tough to kill. You know, at the end of the day, if you want a Dreadnought that's unkillable or very, very hard to kill, you're just going to revert to a Chaplain Dreadnought or a Dreadnought that's a character. So, you know, you, you have to snipe it or it just sits behind the, the lines and not doesn't get shot or, or killed. I, I wish that you could do the half damage to like a normal Dreadnought so that you could just, it would encourage you to take like a normal Dreadnought as long as it like wasn't a character or something. Then again, people who are at home who buy the Codex and have no idea what, uh, you know, the competitive FAQs are or whatever will literally pick up the book and just play it right out of the book. So it won't really affect people who are just picking up the game for fun. It'll affect, it'll affect us who game the system and look for every advantage possible in a competitive environment. Hmm. So, uh, follow-up question. Um, do you guys think that GW maybe could have gotten away with leaving the stratagem alone if they had done something like made it so that Relic Leviathan Dreadnoughts weren't Dreadnoughts or didn't have the Dreadnought keyword or uh, something to that effect? Essentially limiting it to just the Codex Dreadnoughts, the ones that aren't as powerful, don't have the Storm Cannon and, and the crazy durability on top of the damage reduction? Or... I don't think so, personally. Um, I I actually was one of the very few Iron Hands players that never really ran the Leviathan. I've been running Relic Contemptors and Redemptors because they're easy. They're harder to play around, and it's not such a big deal if you do. Whereas the Leviathan, if you're playing around it properly, it's 300 points of my army not doing anything. And mm. you know, if I was having very similar levels of success with the lesser Dreadnoughts, we'll call them the Redemptor and whatnot, uh, clearly. There, that you can't just take the keyword off the Leviathan and call it a day. Yeah, and Redemptors are still very good. Uh, so having the ability to make a Redemptor unkillable, and I think you discussed this in your SoCal open list where you had two Redemptors, one with Plasma and one with the Gatling Cannon, and whichever one you needed for that battle, you literally were not going to lose it. Yeah, exactly. Mm, good so, point. Right. And then, uh, to, not to dwell on the subject... Um, but more philosophically, Brandon, to your point, I agree wholeheartedly. Like, if you're going to nerf something, don't have facet and then just let it be broken still. But, I, it, you know, we don't see Castlins anymore. Not that I'm missing the days of the Castlin. <laughs> and I don't think we're going to see Leviathans anymore either. And it's not the biggest deal. Like, I'd rather not see them than see them everywhere. But I wish they could find a happy medium where you would still see it. It just wouldn't be oppressive. Um, and, you know, it, it does typically tend to be on those larger units, the Castlins a giant robot or Leviathan's a giant robot. Those big things, uh, they're hard to get right because the scale of 40k is not really designed for them. Like on the infantry level, that's a much larger creature type thing. Vehicles, it's a much different type of vehicle. So it's hard to balance it. I understand that, but I just wish they could find a way. I do think you'll still see Leviathans, but they're not going to be the half the top eight at LVO. Absolutely not. Right. I think uh, Ultramarines Leviathans will come back in style. Maybe. Two yeah. Leviathans, middle of the board, killing all those 60 intercessors that people are starting to take? Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's move on to the next stratagem that they changed, which is Cogitated Martyrdom. Uh, this one, what the labeled the Tau stratagem, or the Shield Drone stratagem, uh, lets you, essentially, you would make an Iron or a Dreadnought a character, usually with the Rich Seagull list, uh, or the Brohammer list, I should say, uh, you would make that. Leviathan Dreadnought a character, and then use Cogitated Martyrdom to take wounds, to move wounds from that model onto Intercessors, which would then, of course, the flesh is weak, feel no pain, re-roll, and uh, it became 
almost impossible to kill this dreadnought. Uh, you know, it was notorious for taking tons and tons of shots, tons and tons of firepower, and most of the time, people just dealt with the dreadnought by thunderfire cannoning it and hoping that their armies would survive long enough to so that it never mattered. Uh, essentially, that was it. Uh, I think this is probably out of all of the nerfs. I actually think this is the worst offender, um, especially after looking at the LVO results. Um, so they changed it. You can't make a dreadnought uh, block. Uh, for you can't make a an infantry unit block for a character dreadnought anymore. It's only Iron Hands infantry or Iron Hands character models uh, that can basically be blocked for. Um, the, this is uh, I, I think this is a very big nerf to the stratagem. I think it's welcome. But what are your guys' thoughts on this particular stratagem? You actually missed part of the nerf as well. The way Iron Hands and the stratagem worked in its unnerfed form is that let's say I was shooting my I was shooting your character with whatever. That character would take its saves, then take its feel no pains, because Iron Hands had feel no pain, then roll the two up on any damage suffered, then the nearby Intercessor Squad, or whatever you're passing it to, would then take Mortal Wounds, which they would also get their feel no oh, pain from. Oh, yeah, yeah. So right. now they've only reduced it so that you only get one set of feel no pains across whichever one or something. So the double feel no pain is gone, so I think this nerf is perfect. Oh, yeah. Everything about that strat was stupid, and I'm glad it does, just doesn't work the way it used to. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, do you think people will still use this strat, or do you think the strat is pretty much dead in no, the water? No, I, th- I think it's a great strat. You're playing against Raven Guard, and you want your characters to not just die. It's pretty important, but it's not. I'm going to use this so this intercessor squad behind a wall can stand in front of my unkillable dreadnought. It just made no sense. Hmm. Okay. All right. And then finally, we have the stratagem Master of Ambush. Uh, which was not a stratagem, it's a warlord trait, a uh, raven guard warlord trait that essentially enabled you to redeploy one infantry unit along with the warlord itself anywhere on the board, uh, which if you were going first or if you found out you were going first, people would use to, uh, raven guard players would use to their advantage, they would move six salt centurions, put them in their opponent's face, go first, e- if after they seized or whatever, and then just proceed to wreck face with these six assault centurions. Th- they changed it, uh, Master of Ambush only. You can still deep strike Assault Centurions, um, which might be the way to go now. What did you think about this Warlord trait? So essentially, you can still use Raven Guard Infantry, so you can still use Aggressors, uh, any Infantry, Space Marine Infantry that you have access to, you can still use, just not Centurions. Um, I can start by relating how my one loss at LVO was to uh, Rainbow Marines, meaning three different chapters, and one of those chapters was Raven Guard's successor with plus three inch and stealthy, with three squads of Assault Centurions and Flamers and Hurricane Bolters, and one of those squads going first on pointy Dawn of War um, removed something like 40 Guardsmen turn one. Yep. Um, that was pretty crazy. Uh, and that was four Centurions? Yeah, but they got the charge off and they fought twice, so they spent some additional CP. But regardless, that is a ton of damage to do turn one before your opponent even gets a chance to act from reserves so that they can't really deploy around it, especially with uh, Dawn of War-style deployment where their deployment zone is at most 12 inches thick. So that said, personally, I understand why they made this change. I would have understood if they didn't make this change as well. Um, and hopefully it's a sign that they are acknowledging that Assault Centurions 
are in a weird place right now where they're costed because they're move four uh, pretty reasonably. But Space Marines have enough abilities to get them where they need to go that it doesn't seem to be that big of a deal. Um, particularly for Raven Guard and White Scars. So we're I'm curious to see what else they pull off, but I know maybe it feels targeted to just Raven Guard, but it also felt like, okay, I see why you made that change. It makes sense. Um, but it does feel like a very big deal to Raven Guard players, because that's all I ever saw from Raven Guard was triple Centurions. Sometimes Devastator Centurions, sometimes all Assault Centurions. Yeah, well, actually, Scarry Nick. I I like the I like the change. You know, then again, a lot of the like Raven Guard players that I know didn't even use it on Centurions. They used mm-hmm. it on like aggressors and stuff. So it doesn't actually change people who were doing it for other units. It's just the people who were doing it for like those that Centurion bomb, which uh, was just changes how they have to play it essentially. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a overall a good change. It, yeah. the, the sense going first, and especially in the Dawn of War style deployment where you don't have any depth, it, it feels really bad. It's almost un- indefensible, and uh, I'm glad that's just not a thing. No one likes these auto loss situations. Yeah, I think I think out of the four of these, I think this is probably the nerf that has that's going to have the least impact. Uh, I still see people deep striking assault centurions, raven guard players deep striking assault centurions. And also in terms of the warlord trait slot, there's so many good warlord traits that space marines have access to that losing master of ambush is less losing a core strategy and more using uh, losing a piece of your Swiss army knife. Uh, exactly. I wrote an article for Art of War very recently where I broke down these space marine changes and my thoughts on them. And where Iron Hands and Imperial Fist lost their strategy and they need to come up with a new strategy, Raven Guard still do exactly what they do, just slightly worse. Yeah, they, they, exactly. Um, well, look at me. I said something on the... I'm proud of you, Pablo. Wow. Good. I'm learning. Good. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I'm I, as a Raven Guard player, I, I've been playing Raven Guard actually for a very long time. Um, and uh, basically... It, I see this and I think, okay, I just got to switch up a little bit. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where Raven Guard are. I actually think, judging from uh, the the uh, stats that we saw from the changes to the ITC missions uh, in regards to uh, on signals from the front line, if you guys listen to that episode, essentially uh, that white scars in missions where they got to deploy first and then go first missions where they it skewed really one way or the other where White Scars had like almost a 70% win ratio on one particular mission, which as Peter also told me had also had to do with mission number four. Um, I actually think White Scars and Raven Guard are going to kind of take up the mantle. Um, I think people might move away from Imperial Fists and Iron Hands, though I, I don't see those lists going away still. Um, so which leads me to my final question for the three of you before we go to the ad- advertiser break where do you think space marines as a faction stand now in the meta did the wheel shift only and are we going to see a new iron hands a new imperial fist domination coming from maybe one of the other supplements or did you do you see a general universal step back in nerf for the supplements as a whole um, that'll lead the meta to a more healthier state so I think the game is definitely going to become much healthier. There's nothing healthy about what was going on before. But that said, I think it was a huge missed opportunity. Everything was great. I agree with every change that they made, except they didn't change the apothecary. They just left him alone. Oh, thank you. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. 
The Iron Hands Apothecary with, uh, I forget what his warlord trait is called. It's from the New Psychic Awakening. The Churgeon, um, I don't know, the Chief you know, like Chapter or something. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. It gives five of female pain to Iron Hands instead of six of female pain. Six up to every other chapter, but five up to Iron Hands. And when you have Pharos and the Apothecary and Cogitated Martyrdom, still works on infantry, and 50, 60 Intercessors, Assault Centurions, Eliminators, you just have a, a Plague Bearer Horde on steroids. It's the same concept of the army. Unkillable, obsec. Instead of shooting mortal wounds at you, it just shoots thousands of bullets at you. Doesn't even care that it's lost the Dev Doctrine. You can just give all those guys bolt rifles and hurricane bolters on your sense, and then, you know... Enjoy being in tactical. If you want, you can make one squad stalkers and then spend the CP to keep that one in Dev Doctrine, whatever you'd like. And uh, that army is just nothing in the game can kill that efficiently. Like nothing. And that's, again, we're trying to get away from unkillable stuff. That was mm-hmm. the whole point of this FAQ with the Dreadnought and whatnot. So I just, I'm bummed that they missed that one, but overall I'm happy. I just wish they hit that too. That, it's actually, um, sorry, Scar and Brandon, um, just real quick. It's actually funny that you mentioned that. Uh, one of the first lists I thought of when I saw these nerfs was 60 Intercessors with the Apothecary uh, kind of just taking over the board and then just Raven Guard, Centurion, Steep Striking down. And then that's it. Yeah. Just... yeah. One of the first, I think the first list I wrote after seeing this was 30 Iron Hands Intercessors and 18 Iron Hands Sense. Oh. And like, what kills it? No, nothing. Uh, nothing. And then no, and you don't have a... to shoot on a 5 plus or a 4 plus on Death Banner in there as well. Go to 17 cents, and there you go. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Just one less centurion. All right, uh, Scary and uh, Brandon, what are, you, what are your thoughts on Space Marines and where they stand right now? Scary. I think Space Marines are still very, very strong. You still have to prepare for them in the meta. It, it has definitely changed the way that Space Marines are, like, at the top level. Like, it just kind of lowers that cap a little bit. Just gives the other books that are really good and lists that are really good a chance to sort of like compete and i feel like we're going to see marine lists change to a more balanced approach that uses all of the doctrines instead of like one specific doctrine so whether it's a rainbow marine like brandon said where you're picking like one couple of units that use devastator a couple of units use tactical or like white scars or whatever they use assault or a, a a mono army that you know, has different units in it that will use different doctrines effectively. But I don't think Marines are going anywhere. They're, you're still going to see triple repulsor executioners. You're still going to see all the flyers. You're still going to see huge intercessor hordes. You're still going to see thunderfire cannons. You know, so just don't, don't, they're not disappeared. They're just, you know, just, you're still going to have to deal with them. Um, and that's what I think about Marines. Yeah. And I'm going to agree with uh, Nick there where, you can still build hyper-resilient Marines that just move to the center of the board and control the, the table. So, hello, Adepticon. Um, but, yeah, the the, the Devastator Doctrine uh, Reliant Marines have definitely taken a step back. But Marine armies that didn't rely on Devastator Doctrine or Dreadnoughts are just fine. They're still extremely competitive. So... You're still going to see a lot of variety, I think, with the number of Space Marine chapters that are going to show up at events. And I'd say that the one that I haven't seen at events but will make a comeback is probably Ultramarines. Um, I think they're making the best use of the Doctrine changes, and they really like Tactical Doctrine. So I expect to see that. I, I agree completely. I think Ultramarines are probably going to be the strongest supplement 
barring the Iron Hand ski build I just described. Yes. Definitely the most well-rounded. Yeah, I, I agree. Although I, I do love the idea of mixing, like, like Nick said earlier in the podcast, I do love the idea of mixing um, different, just different uh, chapters now. Um, do like Raven Guard Deep Striking Down, Ultramarines holding the board, or uh, Plague Bear Intercessors, uh, Iron Hand Intercessors, or whatever have you. But um, it'll be very interesting to see what people come up with. I love how we keep describing Iron Hands as a better version of a different faction, which is better Tau. Now it's better Plague Bears. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I have no idea who our sponsor is. However, they are uh, a, spot, a podcast, a gaming podcast that you can listen to. So this is a word from our sponsor, and we'll be back to you in just a few seconds. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash Spotify. And we're back. Hopefully all worked out to plan and you heard an advertisement instead of just awkward typing and silence. And I'm going to get ten of them. <laughs> ten podcasts? <laughs> no, no. Ten of whatever was just advertised, which I have no ten idea Ten of the podcast. I want ten, ten of them. Podcasts. Gaming podcasts. Uh, <laughs> is going to buy ten gaming podcasts. Yes, I'm very impulsive when it comes to advertising. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, so... Welcome back, listeners, and we're on to the second part of the episode. Uh, this will be a little bit more fun. This is where we talk about the other factions. So we've spent almost an hour, 50 minutes, talking about Space Marines and how they were affected. However, for all you Imperial Fists, Eldar, Dark Eldar, Gene Stiller, Colt, Tyranid players, how are you guys going to be affected? So this is going to be the part of the episode where we talk generally about the tier list, how it shifted, what armies are good, what armies are going to benefit from the Space Marine nerfs, uh, and kind of just give our takes. We unfortunately don't have time to talk about every single faction. However, if you're interested in that, you can always head on over to Facebook, uh, or I'm sorry, head on over to patreon.com slash chapter tactics, sign up for our Patreon, and then you can ask Brandon, myself, Skari, Pete, or Val, or Sean, um, just our thoughts on who the factions are. Uh, it'll be really, really fun take on uh, what factions are good, what factions aren't. There's always list advice and people spitballing ideas. So you can head over to patreon.com slash chapter tactics if you want, if you have any questions. Also, you can go into the YouTube comment section on YouTube, on frontlinegaming.org, on Spotify, any of those comments, and say, hey guys, you didn't talk about Space Wolves. How good are they? And we usually are pretty good about responding to those kind of comments as well. Also, you can go to the Art of War and hire a professional list builder to list to build your list for you. That too. All right. So, question to Nick. Nick, yes. the I change my army every year. Actually, I change my army every month and not a body. Where do you see yourself going into Adepticon and also dealing with these space ring nerfs? Do you, or do you think maybe about busting out 
Fate Weaver again. Maybe your old Fate Weaver model that got shot down. Trying to bust out Fate Weaver for years. <laughs> so, um, I think Brandon kind of alluded to it already that Adepticon is so favoring of standing in the middle and minding your own business, holding more objectives. And Iron Hands are what Iron Hands are these days. But I'm still going to play Iron Hands at Adepticon. I've done some experimenting with other stuff like Tyranids and whatnot, but uh, with this change and, and the way the missions and the world is working these days, I think Iron Hands is still going to be top dog for that. Maybe not in ITC, but definitely at Adepticon. Okay. Uh, what do you what do you think are some other factions? What do you think some other strategies do you think people might start gravitating towards? Um, do you think maybe we'll see a mass exodus away from Suez Marines? Or, uh, uh, are you talking for Adepticon specifically? No, I'm talking about in general? in general. So for ICC, so I, for, for everything. I think Eldar got hugely buffed by this FAQ because they're natural predators of like Iron Hands just shoot them off the table, Imperial Fist just shoot them off the table. Those are gone. Um, the lists that will function for Iron Hands and Imperial Fist are not the Alpha Strike, just I'm better at you at shooting kind of lists that they were. Uh, and their function, at least Iron Hands, functions on durability, which Eldar are actually weirdly attuned to handle very well with Doom and Jinx and out their arsenal and character assassinations with the Solitaire and whatnot. So you can make an MSU shooty tank army, multiple small units for Eldar, very efficiently. You could do run a Sean Naden style spear and weird stuff list very efficiently with Eldar and do very well. I think Eldar are in a prime spot. Same with Tal, they just got a million buffs with Psychic Awakening. Um, and if you play Tau well, they are absolutely disgusting. Especially with the new Farsight stuff. Yeah, and then of course Grey Knights just got an excellent update in Psychic Awakening as well, and they were able to hang with Space Marines in their unnerved form, so I can only imagine their one-right's just going to go even up further up. Skari and Brandon, same question. I uh, just... What I've, Nick said, like he 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 took the words out of my mouth. Okay, so I guess um, you know, moving on from that, uh, both of you, Scar and Brandon, are you're both known for running very good, uh, or you're very good at two very specific factions: Scar for Dark Eldar, Brandon for Astra Militarum. Where do those factions stand now that the Space Marines have gotten nerfed? Brandon, I know you've been working on Running Guard. You've also been working on some Sisters list as well. Uh, for both of you, where do your respective main factions uh, stand after Space Marines? What are you excited about? What do you plan on running, or do you plan on switching? You can go first, Brandon. Um, okay, then. Um, I'm planning indefinitely on running guard, almost certainly at least until WTC, and just playing around with sisters. They're a totally new playstyle. really like the models. The playstyle is very interesting, if not um, more of a, a very aggressive army instead of a defensive army, so it's really mixing up playstyles for me. But I don't see guard winning events much outside of my area. Like I look online, I'm not really seeing that many wins, and I'm not sure what Stat Center would have to say about their overall win weights or uh, T whips or anything like that. So they feel at least like a tier two army right now. Um, not in my hands, of course. I still think that they're very reasonable in my hands, but I know exactly all the little tricks to do with that army, which really helps. But I think that, yeah, Guard is probably a tier two army right now. 
and I'm not sure about Sisters. I think it's probably a tier 1.5 where you're going to see a lot of 5 and 1 Sisters at events, but not too many 6 and 0s. I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm surprised you're not more excited about the Psychic Awakening Guard stuff. They got a lot of love there. Oh, yeah. Um, didn't even mention Psychic Awakening. They did get quite a bit of love. Nothing in that book really takes them over the top, which is great, but it gave a lot of love to Tempestus Scions and to custom regiments and tanks. And all of that's really fun to play with. I've been experimenting with some of the new rules, and I've really liked what I've seen. So, Scary, I'm so sorry. Before we move on here, in case you listeners hadn't missed it, a rare, rare thing just happened. So we can rewind the podcast about 30 seconds. Brandon Grant said the Astro Militarum are a tier two army. However, in a show of rare confidence, he said they were better in his hands. And I just want to point out that Brandon is one of the most humble, nicest, respectful people I've ever met. And I think that is the cockiest thing I've ever heard you say. I did catch that, Pablo. That was very out of character. <laughs> it was just there's a there's a blip in the matrix going on here. I just wanted to point that out. So Illuminati, lizard people, conspiracies—it's all happening. No, um, I will tell you that I have a Facebook group that discusses guard strategy called uh, Scola Tactica, and you can hit me up on Facebook if you want to discuss guard with me. And one of my uh, group members faced me round six at LVO. And nice. um, holy cow, the discussion we had after that game, because it could not have been one more one-sided in my direction. Um, but yeah, that's the kind of stuff where I can make statements like that and not feel like I'm exaggerating. So maybe it felt out of character, and it certainly on average was, but it was in character because I did not feel like I was exaggerating. It was logical. It was a logical, factual statement. Beep boop bop. Anyways, Brandon, I'm so I I'm just messing with you. You're a great guy. I just thought it was. Oh, I knew you guys were having fun. I'm just (laughs) maintaining my robotic self. So don't worry, guys and gals. Brandon Grant does not have the Modelo virus. He is he is here. He's good. He's functioning. That was a logical statement. Okay, back to your regular scheduled Scary Drukari. Shout cast. It's funny because I, I get flack online sometimes for making playing Drukari look easy when it's not easy at all. Um, you know, and uh, right now I, f- I feel like if you're playing Drukari, just straight up Drukari, you're definitely playing on hard mode. It is not easy to play in the current meta with like a bunch of toughness three and like five up saves and all this stuff. Um, if you want to play competitively, it's usually advisable to run Eldari stuff, so like a mix here and there of different things to kind of like uh, play off the strengths of the different Eldari factions. But I'm actually really happy that Marines, you know, I've like I've been playing this one list that I'm really liking, has lots of different combinations, and these, you know, without changing anything, just adding in these changes to the Marines, it just makes my list better. So, mm. you know, one of the things that you know, Nick and I and, and everybody on the Art of War team uh, coach on is, you know, making sure you get practice and you rep and you don't change your list too much. Um, don't go to White Scars the week before LVO. A hundred percent. You know, <laughs> you live, you learn, you tell people about what not to do if you make a mistake. It's fantastic. So, you know, it, it just stick to like 
I'm sticking to the same thing that I've been playing, and I'm going for like Drakari stuff. And all it does is it makes it easier for me to play the list that I've been playing already. So it'll just mean that I'll get better with it because mm. of the fact that now I don't have to worry about some of the stuff that I had to worry about before. And by easier, would you say that Drukhari were a tier two army, but no. in your hands might uh, be... Tier one, for sure. But what I'm saying is, <laughs> that's the Archon in me, okay? Just saying. Fair, fair. Um, no, it, it, Dark Eldar are not a tier one army. They, they have the tool for everything you need. However, it is not an easy army to play, and it can be frustrating because everything dies very easily if you're playing Dark Eldar. Yeah, I, and and on that point, this is actually probably a subject for another episode. Uh, but real quick, tier two armies are are perfectly okay, perfectly viable uh, in terms of a power ranking overall standpoint. I actually think a healthy meta, most armies, most factions, most playable strategies. Uh, that are tier two or tier three or kind of above average are great. The if if you're above average, that means you can compete with the OP stuff. Sometimes there might be more skill cap. There might be a very specific barrier to that strategy or that faction that you need to overcome as a player. Uh, however, tier one in my eyes, uh, tier one strategies and tier one factions are the best of the best. A monkey can run them. Uh, they're very much overpowered. They're very much, if you were playing at the highest level and you absolutely needed a guaranteed win, they would be your best option. However, the tier two, by their definition, can still beat those tier one strategies in very specific cases or with very specific strategies or players. Um, so I, I think the fact that that uh, Skari and Brandon both alluded to the fact that, or in Brandon's case, definitely said the fact that they can bring and elevate their faction to a level that competes with the best factions shows, to me at least, that Dark Eldar and Astro Militarum uh, are in a healthy state. And if you're two players running either of those factions, uh, you know, you do have a better chance of winning and competing and getting to that 4 and 2 record, maybe 5 and 1 record that most players actually strive for. So that's super cool. We. Moving back to Nick here, because Nick is the person who's probably played the most factions at tournaments than all of us. Um, I think, have you played every faction at a, at a 40k major yet, Nick? I've missed some small ones. Like, I've not played, like, Harlequins at a fat, but every, like, major faction. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, wh- what are some other factions that you think you might start to see pop up? I know at the LVO you mentioned that horde tyranids or like 200 gaunts might have or like a bunch of orcs a huge basically large bodied factions actually would have done well if people had actually brought in them um yeah I, I stand by that statement that like a super horde army would have done amazing in the previously existing meta or lvo i think that one of the ramifications to losing dev doctrine is that you're going to see more tactical doctrine type stuff um, and by losing that dodge, I mean having to switch out of it. So you're going to see Intercessors rocking bolt rifles, not stalker bolt rifles. You're going to see Centurions in more mass because there's not as many heavy weapons to just pick them all up. And Iron Hands now like Centurions instead of Dreadnoughts, that kind of thing. And those obviously bring tons of heavy hurricane bolters. So as much as I was preaching the Horde meta, the meta can change. With, the meta is affected every time there's a massive change like this. And I think the Horde meta is now leaving before it even got here basically um now that does leave some space for like that mech eldar style list i was talking about because the heavy weapons aren't going to be so in mass like 
you're not going to have a grab pod coming in on turn one and blowing up what well, you might on turn one. Bad example. You're not going to have Imperial Fist Manny Chima Stylus. I don't think it's going to survive long anymore. Um, just killing an Elder Army turn one um, as the game progresses. So it remains to be seen, but I think a lot of tankier style builds will actually start to come out to play because if you run chaff it's going to get obliterated by hurricane bolters and bolt rifles and whatnot so you're going to start gravitating towards tougher things and tougher things don't have as many predators anymore since there's less heavy weapons out there yeah that's a good point i, I was actually thinking the same thing uh chaos in particular come to mind they've got very very tough they've got obliterators they've got possessed bombs which are still very viable uh they obviously have demon princes magnus mortarian uh, a lot of things that lord discordance that were definitely weakened or worsened in the iron hands imperial fist heavy doctrine meta uh that will definitely come back so i think the strong if you're a really strong chaos player or if you have access to really strong chaos players which there are a ton of really good chaos players um you know definitely go get brewing there um also reese has been doing pretty well with tyranids uh and tau might make a comeback as well too those are my predictions there um i think tau is going to be a great army psychic awakening was very kind to them and they never really got bad or anything they were just kind of outclassed by iron hands doing what they do but better um but now that that's not so much a thing, they'll come back strong. Mm-hmm. I think Chaos is probably in the most interesting spot of all the armies, because you're right, all those things you just said are more viable in lieu of the Space Marine FAQ, or in light of it, rather. But they also have this new daddy on the block, Grey Knights, who every list, every unit you just mentioned has a demon keyword, and Grey Knights laugh at that so bad. <laughs> that is true. Uh, let's actually take, before we move on to the the patron questions let's actually take a couple minutes to talk about gray knights they're very much the uh you know not ugly stepchild redheaded stepchild of the space marines and that they were so bad for so long um that they always had the potential they always were had the cool factor and as i said earlier in the last year if they ever got buffed people would take them in droves because they're so popular uh they're they're just they're cool and i i was correct the minute People got a whiff of Grey Knights getting buffed, and we don't even have solid proof that they are they're as strong as people are are making them out to be. We don't know yet. They could be. They definitely have the potential to be. However, Grey Knight Terminators and Grey Knight Strike Squads have been sold out for a month straight now, basically since the LVO. They've been sold out. They've been impossible to get. Uh, they've been consistently selling. They've been overpriced on eBay. The full nine yards, everything you expect from a uh, release that says that people think this is really strong uh and the only time i've ever seen this happen or for units that are really really strong i.e thunderfire cannons uh in victor tactical war suits when they were a thing the chaplain dreadnoughts leviathan dreadnoughts uh whirlwind scorpions centurions things like that things that are all of a sudden very very good that all of the players are trying to get their hands on and not just competitive tournament players but also casual players too because like it or not players who play 40k casually do still gravitate towards the more more powerful uh, things in their factions. You know, you see Hiveguard sell a lot better than uh, you know Malanthropes, Maliceptors, right? You know, in terms of for Tyranids, the overpowered, the more powerful, the powerful stuff in Codexes generally does sell better once you take out you take out the consideration of you know good showcase models. And if a model is both cool and powerful, i.e., Grey Knight Terminators, people will take it in droves. 
So I don't know where Grey Knights are going to going to become. However, if the fifth edition Grey Knight craze told us anything, it's that if Grey Knights are powerful, people will take them, and you will see them all over the place. And that Ooh, was true of Space Marines. All over the place. All over, right. everywhere. I think it's also that they're a very easy army to collect. Yes. Right? Like, Grey Knights are like 50 points a model with 200-point characters. They're not... It's a very small, relatively cheap army. Yeah. Pretty easy to just pick up and paint and get to tabletop standard without much effort. It's it's one of the more friendly armies out there to just randomly netlist to. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's very few armies that I think that can take over a meta if they're overpowered like that. Space Marines are one, and Imperial Knights are another. If Imperial Knights are the cream of the crop, people will start taking Imperial Knights because they're very easy to field, they're very cool, uh, they're you know they're very simple to play, et cetera, et cetera. Custodies as well. For the Custodies. If, yeah, if Custodies ever got really, really good or were the, when they were really good uh, back last year in the summer, same thing. You saw them everywhere. Yeah, so especially Infantry Custodies. So... Uh, It'll be interesting to see where Grey Knights fit in. Um, real quick, have any have either of you played Grey Knights? Do you have a rough idea or rough uh, prediction for Grey Knights? I have played uh, against Grey Knights a few times, and they are really strong. Not to say they're unbeatable. They definitely don't feel unbeatable. I've beaten them twice. I've lost to them once. Um, and these are against really good players, Richard Siegel and Mark Perry, so it's not like I'm playing nobody's out here. Um that said, there's a lot of tricks to them. They're definitely uh, a high skill floor, meaning you can be like not great with them and do pretty well, but a really high skill ceiling, meaning if you are great with Grey Knights, you're, you are a monster on the tabletop. Uh, so, you know, that's both good and bad, I suppose. Mm. They have a lot of tools. They have a lot of tricks. They're just very powerful. Yeah, right I played against them a few times as well, and I can mimic that. However, I do feel that a lot of people who do pick them up will find that you have like they do require forethought you can't just put 20 paladins on the table and just expect to win every time you know they yeah. you, you still have to play smart with them you know if you and and just use like their abilities and stratagems well in order to kind of get the most out of them you can probably be an average gray knight player or an average player at the game playing gray knights and go three two at a gt but then to elevate that to four one, you'd have to be a pretty solid player, and then to elevate that to, from four one to five zero, you'd be a great player, I would say. Mm. But it, it'll take you to three two pretty quickly. Very cool. All right, Brandon. Anything else to add there? No, I think we've summarized exactly my thoughts on Grey Knights. I've yet to play them, but I'm excited to. I just don't know anyone in my local area who plays them, but I'm sure that I'll encounter them at some point. All right, so. Uh, we're actually here at the end of the episode, as we do at the end of every Chapter Tactics episode. We open the floor to questions from our patrons. If you'd like to ask us questions, head on over to patreon.com slash chapter tactics. Sign up. It's just a $5 a month. So for one coffee a month, you can hear me stumble your name if you have a complicated name. And also hear a really interesting answer to a perhaps a maybe dumb question. Or not. All right. First question from Mr. Ryan. What is the proper way to address our new Tau overlords? Shazo. Shazo, got it. <laughs> Done. <laughs> uh, Derek wants to know, Iron Hands are still a powerhouse. Their build has just changed. We'll see what happens with the Spring FAQ, but till then, they are still rough. We absolutely agree with you, Derek. Um, although, in terms of the our, the hierarchy, Space Marine hierarchy, I think we agree Ultramarines are probably number one now. Top Dogs, maybe Raven Guard. Or White Scars. White Scars. 
I think the results will be really skewed because Depticon is the first super major and everyone's going to be looking at it. But because they have such offbeat missions, Iron Hands excel in them by chance. So if Iron Hands go and win a super major in a few weeks, it's not going to look good. But that's not indicative of the overall meta in a more ITC type setting. Okay. Yeah. Next question. Nathaniel wants to know, uh, with Marines being relegated to the top tier with everybody else rather than their own Marine tier, who would you have in your top five factions? So, if you had to pick your top five factions factions right now, the three of you, what would they be? Space are we Marines? Like wishlisting this? Or are we uh, like you, you, if yeah. you don't have a top five factions, you don't need I to say I think we're all going to agree that Chaos and Eldari super factions are top five. Yes, yes. I, I, think, I think that's fair. And then Space Marines yeah. and Tau. And then who's yeah, our fifth? Definitely. Ooh. Dark Elder. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so we're putting um, Grey Knights as our fifth? I actually or? think Grey I actually think Grey Knights I, or Blood Angels. Grey Knights, Grey Knights would be that fifth. I, th- I think What Grey about Imperial are... Super Faction? No. Would that count? I think you're better off playing Grey Knights than the entire Imperial. Yeah, I don't know, man. Guard and Well, it, it, in an ITC format, absolutely, because they can just deny kills so well. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so it just, they're just really in, good at the mission format. So yeah, I could say Grey Knights for sure. Yeah, in, in ETC, I would say like Sisters and stuff have a lot more play because the denial aspect isn't as important. Yeah. Also, in ETC, you guard guard would do really well because no one's gonna play, no one's gonna take guard, and uh, Space Marine people are you only have one Space Marine player, right? So well, technically WTC now. Yes. Oh, we'll excuse me, WTC. You're absolutely correct. Okay, uh, next, um, Tim wants to know, after the nerfs, if we had to pick one Space Marines chapter to run, and you had to pick one and you wanted to win, which one would it be? I would go with Ultramarines, because I'm an Ultramarines owner. I agree, Ultramarines. I'd go for Black Templars. Ooh. Uh, I'd go with Ultramarines, probably. Mm-hmm. You're not going to switch to White Scars at the last minute there, Nick? You yes, know, he would, actually. I, I would, that's... I'm lying to you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, Raven goes great. Hmm. Uh, okay, Paul wants to know, do any of the hosts feel like the Doctrine Nerf was in the wrong direction? It seems to affect Dark Angels and Imperial Fists the most, whereas Iron Hands get off relatively easy. Uh, ba- basically, do you think that the the strategy or the, the Doctrine Nerf hurts Dark Angels, hurts Blood Angels, hurt, or I guess it doesn't hurt Blood Angels? Um, but specifically Dark Angels, and that's actually something I wanted to talk about too. I've seen whispers, well not really whispers, more angry shouts from Dark Angels players in comments, on Facebook groups, on Reddit posts, uh, basically saying, our, you know, because our, our army lives in the Heavy Doctrine, we weren't, we weren't really hurt. Our faction was hurt. Do you think Dark Angels were hurt? Do you think it was uh, throwing the baby out with bathwater? instant incident with gw or do you think it was the right call do you think dark angels are okay what are your kind of thoughts on salty dark angel players see i think their mono faction role wasn't that great in the first place no offense <laughs> to dark angels so they're not, they're not losing out on much over here well uh, they can always could... just ally in 20 possessed not only that yeah. but i think it's <laughs> dark angels are still going to be reasonable the problem is the things that were really good in Devastator are no longer as good every turn. So, for example, you can still take a bunch of Hurricane Bolter-equipped flyers with minus two to be hit and have a pretty good skew list for your local RTT. But I don't know. I, I, I don't see them being in the top five of competitiveness to begin with. They're still not in the top five of competitiveness. Yes, it's hurt some of their mainstream builds if you were taking a bunch of Dreadnoughts, for example. But 
you can still make a Ravenwing Deathwing list and try and go Assault or Tactical Doctrine heavy with Dark Angels and do reasonably well. Hmm. I think Dark Angels fall into a weird niche where they don't do anything that Space Marines do better than Space Marines. There's no reason to try to compete on that front. You don't take heavy weapons in a Dark Angel army and try to spam them out, you lose to Space Marines. What you need to focus on with Dark Angels is the part that makes you unique to space, from Space Marines, like your Talon Masters and Sammy, your Deathwing Knights, that kind of stuff. Yeah, the and those were not largely affected by this change at all. Yeah, so, I agree. Uh, and uh, to add on to that a little bit, Dark Angels players, you're not going to want to hear this, but I think your army does have play. I think there's definitely a Tier 2. If Brandon Grant were to play your army, he would definitely be able to elevate it to Tier 1. Also, Dark Angels have some of the best ally options that Space Marines get access to in the form of Talon Masters and Sammy. Uh, they're really, really good. They were really viable, and I'm I'm actually honestly surprised more people didn't try to put them into the list, even in the Space Marine meta, because they are very, very good. Um, I think people just kind of got ta- caught in on the Space Marine hype and were sleeping on those units in particular. So if you're a Dark Angels player, maybe just try allying those units in and then painting your green Primaris Intercessors blue. <laughs> or not. Anyways, uh, next question. Uh, Donald, um, actually, I'm sorry, Dan, what would have what would your guess to the new power rankings of the supplements? Um, actually, we already answered that question. Um, uh this is a different Dan. Are screens going to be a necessity with Tau bringing in Crisis Bombs and Grey Knights bringing Gate of Infinity? How will the ITC new ITC missions affect the meta? Uh, we actually didn't talk about the new ITC missions affecting this meta. I feel like that is definitely a podcast, another podcast episode. Um, I would like to maybe get some more data in on the ITC new mission, the new ITC missions before we have a podcast like that. Although that's definitely coming very soon. Um, maybe right after Adepticon. But for your first question, what about screens? Well, I, and I kind of agree with this. You've got uh, Deep Striking Raven Guard, which I think maybe you need screens for, although as a Raven Guard player, I don't really see screens as an issue. Um, and then, of course, you've got Crisis Suits, Bombs, which did come back and do look very powerful. Uh, you've got the Grey Knights with their Gate of Infinity, clearing the board with Storm Bolters, and then getting to the juicy good bits. You still have Snipers. They're still very good. Where is this bubble wrap screening? Like, is that still a thing? Do you still need the bubble wrap and screen? It's an interesting question. Um, I think screening is in this weird spot where you either, if you have an army that screens amazingly well, like a guard brigade or something that move, move, move infantry to just run across the table, tyrannids that can just throw 30 gaunts 40 inches forward and, you know, here's a screen. That is really useful because it can actually push crisis suits and whatever outside of their 18 inch deep strike threat uh it can it's not just going to get obliterated instantaneously to green knight shooting out of order and then gating to that point that they just shot in hole into uh so you need to hit like a critical mass of screen before your screens become useful if you just have a token 15 scouts to fill your battalion those screens aren't going to accomplish anything but if you have a horde yeah your screens are actually going to be useful makes sense to me and i do think that for a guard army with really strong screens already, screens were already important. They're going to keep being important. But for other armies, you're going to need resilient units that don't cost very much for their points or for their resilience to be in front of your army to make sure that your important units don't just get removed for free. Hmm. Oh. Yeah. 
All right, next question. Uh, Patron Kane wants to know, looking at Mike Porter's list at NEO over the weekend, uh, it's an Iron Hands toolbox list. Does Nick think his Iron Hands list from last year would be worth running? Also, what is the Brown Magic planning on running to start this season off? I actually spoke with Mike immediately after his, his undefeated run there because I was so intrigued by his Iron Hands not running Pharos in the Apothecary and playing in the new... FAQ land. So a lot of what he was doing is just simply worse. And it didn't give me the profound answer I was hoping, which is he found the silver bullet, but that's to be expected, I suppose. Basically saying, yeah, it is worse, but it's still good. Um, and that's that's exactly how I felt about it. So uh, to the question, which was, do I think my list from last year is can come back, essentially? Uh, I, I think Pharos and the Apothecary are more powerful. Uh, we're in a world of where resilience matters more than offense, um, and that's what that affords you. So, I, I ran variations to my list last year that had Pharos and the Apothecary once that came out, but I don't think the Master Artisan Brigade version is that strong. Uh, and what am I going to be starting off the ITC season with? Uh, unfortunately, probably Iron Hands <laughs> at Adepticon because peanut butter and jelly over here. But after that, I'm. I have Chaos is calling, you know, I miss these guys. Used to Chaos used to be my jam. I played it for like four years straight. I want that back, so I'm going to Chaos. Yeah, I still remember that Chapter Tactics episode when you switched to Eldar from Chaos and then never looked back. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what happened. <laughs> Just, I, I got lost in the sauce of Doom and Jinx. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, speaking of getting lost in the sauce of Doom and Jinx, do, do we think the Space Marine nerfs are on par with those received by the Inari or the Castellan? Mm, on par do you mean when GW went too far? Uh, I don't know. I'll go with they're on par with the original Castella nurse right after Nova. And the original Yanari nurse where you instead of infinite soul burst, you only soul burst it once. Mm, so they're on par with those. So they they definitely weren't uh, complete gut wrenching nerfs that would hurt the army. And and to be fair, we don't know the nerf cycle hasn't finished yet. We still have an entire F April FAQ. Um yeah, it's very possible that they're going to use data from Abepticon to then further nerf Space Marines or not. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah, yeah. I, I think absolutely uh, they're they're going to look. I think they'd be crazy not to look, use the April FAQ to look at very specific things in the Space Marine supplements and the Space Marine Codex themselves to change. All right. Uh Patron Nick wants to know: Do the does the change make vehicle and knights list viable? I think this is actually a good question because, as Nick alluded to earlier in the podcast, there are going to be less heavy weapons. We're moving to more rapid fire assault weapons. Does that mean that vehicles and knights might make a comeback? Uh, I do know that the maneuver secondaries for knight players are a little difficult. I have tried. That was one of the first things I ran when we were testing out the new IC missions. Was knights? Um, they definitely do have some trouble with the new mission, ITC missions, although I don't think they're bad or unviable. But what are your guys' thoughts? I think knights are an army where they're either broken or not good enough because they live in this very extremist build space. Uh, I think they'll continue to be not good enough. And by not good enough, I mean to to really consistently win like super majors and stuff. Mm -hmm. They can win small GTs and here and there, and five and one, no problem. Um and that's because they do have hard counters that will still exist. People will still run Skyweavers. That's just the end of the world for Knights. People will still run Blood Angel Smash Captains or Blood Angels or a faction are coming up and popular. Uh, I can't imagine Knights do well into Grey Knight Smite Spam. Grey Knights have enough Smite to just pick up a Knight a turn. 
So they, they do have their fair share of counters still. Uh, but vehicle heavy armies in general, I think, will do better. Like vehicles in general just are a stronger unit type than they were two weeks ago. Mm. Can't agree more. I feel like a really good player with knights is still going to go five and one at best. Hmm. Okay, um, next question. Mark uh, has two questions, one to Nick. To Nick, with the nerf to Marines, do you feel Jane Starcole gets any of its legs back, or was it more the addition to Shock Assault and Infiltrators that put the nail in the coffin for them? Shock Assault was rough. Infiltrators, I didn't mind so much. You could Clever Jane Starcole players could get around that by deploying and running the old-fashioned way. Um, but no, I think the nerf to Marines has just caused a shift in the Marines as far as playstyle goes, like I was saying earlier. And uh, if we see more Centurions, there's nothing a Gene Circle player hits more than Centurions. You can't just deep strike in front of them and charge them because they Auspex scan them. You can't just charge them because they Overwatch kill you. And even when you get to them, they can transhuman and probably just survive anyway. Uh, and then, of course, now people are taking bolt rifles instead of stalker bolt rifles, which for once is actually worse for the genes that are called. It is just bad news bears. Yeah. And then, actually, there's a follow-up question a little farther down that I'm just going to ask now. Um, if if genes that are called, if you could bring them back to relevance, what would you do? A quick little fix to make genes that are called better again? That's a great question. I don't think I've ever been asked that. Um... Honestly, I don't really want to change much in the Gene Stealer Cult book. I think they're really good as far as a well-written codex. Um, I just think that Marines are very well-suited to handling them, and that sucks. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I would like to make Aberrants go down a little bit. I feel like their cost increase was appropriate maybe six months ago, but it's not six months ago anymore. Um, yeah, I... Uh... I actually think, um, I'm sorry, Nick, I don't mean to steal somebody's thunder here, but to kind of add on to that, I actually think that if you just reverted Gene Circle back to their pre-nerfed form, I think that they would be viable. They would still have a hard time with Space Marines, but um, they would they would be good, and I think they would be, be like, playable. Maybe there, there is, I've been trying to make the Gene Circle list for like the entirety of the Codex's existence, where it was like mech Gene Stealer Cult using all their transports and the cool transport rules. Mm -hmm. They had a lot of unique stuff there. Uh and the transports are actually not too bad. They're not tough enough to survive, especially in the meta of Marines, so it doesn't really work at all. But I would like to see some buffs to those transports to make that a viable strategy, because that could be really cool. All right, and then uh, his follow-up question, Mark, um, wants to know when I'm going to be going to go to Australia and play games. Um, Australia is a very fun and terrifying continent, so I do not know. It's also very expensive, so... Um, I don't know. I guess I guess whenever someone, whenever someone wants to get together and work out some sort of sponsorship deal or something, definitely email me frontlinegamingpewdiepie at gmail dot com. But anyways, uh, next question, Ian. Um, Tower looking to be a powerhouse with the new Enclave rules, but the points difference of adding that damage will likely mean fewer drones to deal with. Are we expecting that increase in damage will outweigh the loss in durability, or are players adding unnecessary Hail Marys to their games? Mm. If you're asking me, then the new changes to Space Marines are probably going to increase the quantity of shots that they're putting out instead of the quality. That mm. would be the, the direction I'm going, so... Already, I feel like Marines will have more tools on average to deal with drones, especially because they have to worry about Tau more now, If depending on you know which event and who's playing them. Um, so it remains to be seen. I still think the best Tau players are going to create these very, very strong Tier 1 
lists that can deal with Marines. But yeah, if you're going to go from 40 drones to 35, that might be just enough for the Marines to get through you one turn earlier and remove a critical Riptide or Crisis Suit Commander that they wouldn't have. But the good players are going to know how to plan around that, and I don't feel like the changes are going to make them, um, let's call it, glass cannons anytime soon. Yeah, I think Tau's a hard army to call. Richard Seeler's next door, and I don't want to bother him. But um, my my guess at Tau would be that, with respect to Marines, you would try to run six commanders as your damage output in a Farsight Enclave's attachment, let's just abuse the character keyword along with drones, and then run maybe one or two Riptides or Ghost Kills or even, and use them for their durability, like just sitting in a Riptide on a 3-up interval for a while. Because, like Brennan said, you're, you're not really going to kill a Riptide anytime soon with Hurricane Bolters or whatnot. So just park a Riptide like that, have it be the unkillable thing standing in front of your characters, then you have the drones for the Riptide, the Riptide for the characters, and all of a sudden you have six commanders doing all the work for you, and that's viable. Great combination. Because if mm. your opponent did spam bolters, you keep the drones out of line of sight and you let the riptides rip tank all the bolters, and vice versa. If they brought all the last cannons, the drones are going to absorb all the last cannons instead. And because you you can afford to leave that riptide on a three-up invul, it really just doesn't die. Like two-up, three-up, 14 wounds is not a joke. No, And then six commanders will still just create all the firepower of those riptides. Absolutely. All right. That is it. Thank you so much for listening and getting through all of those questions. If you're interested in hearing more from any of these three amazing co-hosts, Brandon, where where can they find you again? Um, they, oh, they can find me somewhere besides Chapter Tactics. I think they can. Uh, on Facebook. Uh, if you're an Astro Militarum player, on the Astro Militarum Facebook group. Yes, so just message me personally and I'll add you if you're interested in talking shop with me about Astro Militarum. Ooh, all right. Uh, Nick, where can they find you and your sultry tones? Yeah, I run the Art of War podcast, which is also uh, on the Frontline Gaming Network, right next door to this Chapter Tactics one, so hop on over and check it out. Also, you can check me out on theartofwar40k.com. It's a blog. I teach classes. Scary's there too. We do coaching. We do battle reports. All that stuff. So check it out. We just are all about competitive 40k. Uh, and, and to kind of help plug a little bit more before we get on to Scary, uh, the Art of War ha- is if you're into competitive 40k, if you're looking into competitive 40k, it's not only good in terms of tactics content, there's also just some really good content about the competitive uh, competitive 40k in general. Like for example, the Alex Fennel. Uh, article which just came out like like i think over the last weekend week. last week um yeah. about sportsmanship that was a really good article and i imagine that we're only going to see more articles like that too so yeah at, at our war as much as we value winning and competitive 40k and the strategy and the tactics we also want to send the message of how to play competitive 40k you know playing by intent being gentlemanly just the right way to for- play 40k in our opinions so we want to emphasize that as part of our message as well and finally, Archon Skari, where can all the little witches and Incubi find you? In a vat of people's tears. Nice. But um, <laughs> you can find me on the Art of War uh, with, together with Nick and all the other incredible coaches and people who uh, are building 
crazy cool competitive 40k content um and uh, also on youtube or on patreon which uh, you can just find me on scottcast if you uh, want to be a part of the denizen community also if you want to see him work and figure out how hard it is to ship a ton of stuff around the world he just came out with a line of dice scardcast dice which not only look cool but come with the added benefit of him forcing what do you what a dark what are the dark eldar shipping carriers what what is that dark eldar mailing the system the scourge would the scourge <laughs> be the ones who deliver it the scourge deliver messages however mantrakes you... <laughs> i haven't actually released them to the public but that's okay not yet it was a oh, patreon thing first oh i'm however, so sorry i will um, i will delete they, all that no 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 don't don't no it's fine it's fine um they will they, i'll only have about 500 left because we literally almost ran out just with the patreons however they every time you roll a one it, the dice will say thank you my lord and then you can roll it <laughs> right on and uh, this is a, a chapter <laughs> tactics exclusive promo so if you're listening to this i'm so sorry scary you can uh, just email me at scodcast uh, and how many dice you want and i'll tell you how much they are or, or <laughs> at better Scott yet Gmail. sign up it. for the patreon scodcast patreon Perfect. there you go and, and order them that way that's <laughs> Uh, yes, that, that works too. <laughs> All right. Uh, this has been whistleblower Pablo saying, <laughs> saying, thank you so much for listening. You are all the best listeners in the world. And as always have a good one. Bye.